Recording in progress. Okay. It's going to be a great time. Oh, boy. Okay. That sound interesting. Damn, I look so good. All right, let's just wait. You ready? Four hours later. Dear tech. Oh, laughing hurts. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode on the Dear Tech podcast. Today, we are asking Dear Tech, how do I negotiate? Shiro, how do you negotiate? Um, aggressively is the answer. Huh. No, I'm, I'm not kidding, actually. Why not? Um, I think the first thing we should say is that everyone, no one should be scared of negotiating. Because Why I think, that? I think, well, I think sometimes, not sometimes, negotiating can be scary. Because depending on where you are in your career, sometimes we're just happy to get an offer. Sometimes we're excited about the company, but I think that I don't think there should be a stigma or a fear around negotiating because it is your right to do so. Unless you're being unreasonable, right? You don't walk in and be like, I want the maximum amount that you put on your job posting, stuff like that. But I think that if you get an offer, it doesn't hurt to see if you can get some more. So I think the first thing I'll say is don't be afraid to negotiate. Okay. Okay. How do you, like, what has been your specific experience with negotiating uh, and leveraging that kind of muscle as you've moved forward in your career? My way of negotiating. Okay, so so I guess I can start with, there's a really cool book that I read a, while, a few years ago, and I go back to it from time to time. It's called Never Split the Difference. It's by a man named Chris Voss. He is a ex-FBI negotiator, hmm. and he... It's a very, really, really cool book. Um, and he talks about negotiating from, you know, hostage situations all the way to, you know, new job and trying to get money and stuff like that. So for me, um, my thought process is when it comes to like work and money, because that's what we're talking about, um, as a candidate looking for an offer, um, before I even go into the negotiations, I have roughly three numbers that I keep in mind, right? I keep my minimum amount, the amount that I need to survive or the amount that I need to move from my current job, whatever that number is, I have a minimum number. Then I have the, this would be nice number slash the, this is probably what the market rate is-ish for what I'm looking for. And then I have the number that is like the number that if I'm not looking and someone's offering me a job, the number I give those people. Okay. Um, and those three in the respective orders are the lowest number that I'll take medium and then really, really high. Mm -hmm. So knowing those numbers is very important. Knowing what you're, what you want slash what you're worth, because if you go into an offer situation and you don't know those things, you know, if someone's offering you 50 K for your job and you try to negotiate and they give you 70 K, but that's still 50 K under the market average and you just didn't do the research that's on you and it sucks. Right. Um, and so I think for me, I always know those numbers and no matter what's going on in life, I know those numbers in the top of my head always. Um, and as things happen in your life, you, you, you adjust that. And then, um, and I'm speaking more so as a candidate, because we will touch on negotiating while you're in a job already and you're trying to get more money or something like that. But as a candidate, um, after the interview, pro before the interview process, they might ask you a salary and we recommend at that point, well, I say we, but I, but industry says, don't give a number, try not to, try to be like, hey, like what's the budget or what are you offering or what are you, what are you looking at? 
at that point they'll they might give you a number they might push back and try not to um i know a lot of like new recruiters learn that they should try to get the number from the candidate and then candidates we tell you to get the number from the recruiter mm-hmm. um but for me i try not to give a number but if they push a lot i will give them my middle number or maybe a little bit higher than my middle number and say you know this is what the industry looks like i'm probably looking around there but it really depends on what other offers i get um and from that point you go through the interview and then they come back and if they come back with a number that's right around what you were asking for it's up to you you can take it or you can say hey i had a few other conversations with a few other companies can you do better i encourage that because why not um but you can take it at that point and just be happy which is fine too you don't have to negotiate Mm -hmm. um but if they come back with a really low number or if it's a number lower than what you initially said, you can be very simple and just be like, hey, we, we discussed this beforehand. I, this number doesn't even make sense to me. Uh, but I think I'm getting ahead of myself. I think we, we can not get to the, the end of the process before we get there. But what, you, let's do the beginning of your process and then we'll move along the process some more. Mm. Well, first I have a follow-up question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, you good at those. <laughs> thank you. What, um, what, what are my numbers? Like the tactics? <laughs> what were some of the tactics from the book you read that stood out to you? Um, okay, so it's a, it's a there's a lot, and I don't want to give away the farm, but I'll, I'll go through a few. So one of the ones he talks about is sometimes they'll make if someone says something to you that doesn't make sense, you respond with a question to get them to try to help you get to where you need to get to. So let's say someone comes to you says, I'm "Lost, please, please, be sure." Here. So one of the things is, and if I'm like misconstruing the book, sorry, but this is just some of the things I remember. I haven't read it in a little while. I did touch it a little bit, uh, but it's like, so like someone says, um, you know, the salary is 50 K, right? Mm-hmm. So you can say, you can do a couple things. One of the things you can do is kind of just be simple and be like, that's just, that doesn't work for me. And then silence and you let them come back to you. Or you can say, how do you expect me to do like if, if someone says something to the effect of, oh, you need to come in three days a week or five days a week in the office because um, that's a part of the negotiation. You can respond with, how do you expect me to do that? Or how am I supposed to do that? Mm. Right? Be like, oh, you know, I actually I have a kid uh, who, who needs me to be home. But how, how am I supposed to do that? By doing that, you kind of disarm them because you didn't say no. You're asking them how you would mm. do that. Then they are actually in a dialogue with their own question, trying to help you get to where you need to get to. Okay. Um, and I think one of the, the, the beauty of that is when you're at a place where that doesn't make sense, when you ask that question, they realize it doesn't make sense. And when they realize it doesn't make sense, they have the opportunity to, to change what they're going to say. Okay. Mm-hmm. Another thing that they talk about is mirroring. And that's something we've, we hear about a lot, um, mm-hmm. but it works, right? So a simple way of mirroring would be if someone says, I can offer you 50K. You respond with 50K? Silence. <laughs> Silence. You didn't say yes. You didn't say no. Uh-huh. You just mirrored. Then they're arguing with themselves and they're negotiating against themselves. Right. Um, or if, if someone is just a very type A person, every sentence they say, just repeat the last two, word or two back to them and they'll just keep talking. And that works in negotiation because they'll, they'll divulge more information. Um, they also talk about... Yes, they would divulge more information, <laughs> right? Uh, and actually, it's funny because when you're doing it, you think like, oh, they're going to catch on. Uh. No, they just keep going. They just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually in the book, he talks about a study where uh, two sets of waiters, one of them, when someone ordered food, would be like, oh, it's a really good order. Great. 
And the other one would just repeat the order back to the person as they were ordering. And the people that repeated the order back to them got higher tips. Hmm. Uh, another one is, so that's, that's one of them. Uh, and another one, the other thing he talks about in the book is, he talks about um, creating a sense of empathy, kind of, but like without putting words in their mouth. So if, like if it's a really, if someone's, if it's like, uh, if you're at the airport and it's really busy, or like you just saw the person in front of uh, you yelling at the the steward, uh, the air flight attendant, mm-hmm. um, and you go up there, be like, oh, it seems like you're having a tough day. So now they can respond with, I'm not. Be like, I'm sorry, I, I just it seemed like it, my bad. Or they'll be like, yeah, really is. And then as you do that empathy, and as you basically just put yourself in their shoes, that connection, because then you can after doing that. You'd be like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm having a pretty, pretty tough day too. Um, is there anything that you can do to see if you can get me into first class? Or is there any way you can get me on the next flight, right? And then they respond and then you mirror and you calibrated questions and oh, there's a bunch, there's that book is gold. That book is gold and I've, I've gifted it to people, um, mm-hmm. people that are going into job interviews. I would like do like an audible and listen to it really quickly and then just like spit out things for them to say. Um, but that book is, is golden. Um, Chris Foss, if you hear this, you're awesome. Um, so I, I use a lot of that. I try to use a lot of that in my negotiating, but I will also say though, there are times that the person you're sitting across from you can't slash won't negotiate. They have a budget, they have a number and that's that. And you might have to walk, you always have to be ready to walk away in these situations. You always have to be ready to walk away, but that is the answer to my question, your question. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, okay. My experiences back to your question. Um, I, so very like early on in my career, like first couple jobs out of college, I didn't negotiate at all. My, I know this like sounds dumb. Probably I like, didn't know I could (laughs) like my very, very first agency job. I was given a number and she was like, this is she, I think she, the, the recruiter said something along the lines of like, this is what we pay for this role. And I was like, okay, like I didn't know. And I had like there at the agency, they were hiring so many people directly out of college. And at that point, not specifically recruiting experience, but I had about a year and a half of experience in a business HR focused capacity, which 100% would like, I could have spun it as a value add and leverage to the position. So I would have had that backing to ask for more, but I didn't know I could. And also at that point in my career, I very much so was uncomfortable with asking for more and feeling like I was worth more and asking for what I worth and doing my research in the market. So 100% earlier on, I was not uh, flexing that muscle at all. Um, My last... My last two roles I had a little bit, but the it, it really more so came about in my, my current position where um, I did ask for more. And I think for me, a big part of it, like the points that you made is one, making sure I have my like leverage points. Like when you ask for more, I feel like you have to be able to justify the why. You can just be like, I want 90 grand and they're like why you don't have a response so i feel like you have to have some ammo in the art of negotiation whether i think i'm thinking about like um like a courtroom situation like you have to have logic and reasoning to explain the why for your ask and then 
do your research on on market rates. Um, I think those are two big components is understanding what the market's paying and understanding what you you specifically have to leverage. And then the three diff, like the three core different tactics that I oftentimes discuss with people that I've seen a lot of is one you like you were saying you uh avoid avoid answering the question like so many like well, I know we do so many recruiters and hiring managers and anyone in a hiring capacity will ask the person what are you targeting to make um for anyone who doesn't know there are like federal right and state regulations around specifically asking someone what they are currently making there's a yeah we like as a standard, that's not a question that anyone is legally allowed to ask you if they're in a hiring capacity. Um, so the question that will typically be asked is what are you targeting to make? And the three core responses I've seen is one, you avoid the question. Um, you say, you could say, I um, would like to learn more about the role before I give you a target number. I would like to move through the interview process before we have a conversation around comp. Um, I'm still evaluating that number, like whatever kind of deflection you want to provide. Two, you provide a range so you don't pigeonhole yourself into a specific number. In a lot of states now, we know like California, Washington, so on and so forth, like they have obviously um, pay transparency laws where, where ranges are shown on job descriptions. So that's definitely something to leverage. But two, you give a range. Um, typically with your midpoint being the number that you stated that you're like good with and then the min and a max, or you shoot freaking high and just give like a bold number. And if you think the role is going to pay 120,000, I would say I'm looking for 143. Um, so it's like the three core kind of tactics I've, I've seen. Um, I know there's lots of others and it's, it's kind of interesting from the recruiting side to always see people's different tactics to that. Um, I will also say, I think there's a number of different offshoots we'll get into, but I will also say, I think the point that you made before too, 100% like ask, always ask for more. Like, um, I, I had actually had a, a previous scenario where the number I asked for, they actually ended up extending me an offer that was higher than the number that I asked for which is great. And I don't think that happens all the time. That's yeah, um, never. That, that's like in my, okay. I'm glad it happened for you. Yeah. Whoever sent you the offer didn't do their job. They did <laughs> well, not do see, their job. There, there's, there's two points that though, then because I, oh, uh, and that situation wasn't informed as I could have been. I didn't have like the insider knowledge to know what that company typically paid their employees. So I, I undercut myself. And I will say from the flip side of it, we were not taught this in agency days, but my 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 perception on this has completely evolved as I've I've moved through different roles is if you ever have a candidate come to you and they give you a number that you know is significantly undercutting their skill level, what the market is paying. 100% I would verbalize that to them. I encourage mm -hmm. all of my team to do that like 100%, especially because that oftentimes impacts the BIPOC community, marginalized communities 
that don't have that insider information or connection necessarily or resources to know that information and know what they're worth. Um, so I'm actually a big proponent of if someone comes to you with a number and you know they're undervaluing themselves, like educate them accordingly and pay them what they're worth. Oh, no, for sure. And I mean, in agency, if it's contract, you wouldn't do that because you want the bigger margin. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's normal. Um, but, you know, you that's for sure, because you know what that does is let's say you give them the low number they want and another company comes in six months and it's like you're underpaid. Then one, they're bitter because you didn't tell them that or they're like, this place can't pay me, so I should go somewhere else. Um, and even if they weren't looking before, they are now because they know that you're taking or you didn't give them an extra 20, 30, 40 K. I've seen that. Mm-hmm. happened before too so I, I absolutely agree with you you so one thing I like about what you what you said was well you didn't say it outright but you said it when you said it um always ask for an odd number so never say 140 143 I've heard some uh, psychology around like not using yeah. zeros or fives it's so it's it's in the book too and he talks he's mm-hmm. like you should if someone's like how much do you need be like you know what hang on a second act like you're doing math be like I need one hundred forty thousand. $562. That's my minimum, right? Because that makes it look like you factored in all your bills, all your stuff, and it's exact. Um, so always use a, a number that doesn't sound normal. Um, it's, it's a good idea. And I think that there, there's no, I don't think there's any world where a recruiter won't give you a number if you hold out. And you can also say something to the effect what of there's other, fa- like if so, if like, cause like, I've in at least in the past in agency there there may have been times where someone's like what's the what's the rate or what's the salary mm. and the recruiter will try three four different ways to not say the number. <laughs> I think nowadays it's a little bit different. I think nowadays yeah. recruiters are a little bit easier easier yeah. on that. Um, so if you say like there's a lot of factors involved for me to decide on salary, but like what kind of you know whatever what what kind of uh, range do you have? What do you what the budget looks like? And they'll tell you nine times out of ten they'll they'll tell you. Really try not to give your number unless the, the only the only time I would say that it's that you could say the number is if you're really senior and your salary is going to be like really huge no matter what then you could say it because you at that point you know you're 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 what you're worth enough and I don't think normal budgets account for that if you're like yo my my base salary has to be like 1.2 million dollars that's, you know, you're not undercutting yourself. There's a very, yes. very unlikely chance, you know, if you're like an EVP, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know what these salaries are these days, right? Things are, it's crazy out there. Um, or total comp has to be like $5 million a year, whatever, right? And that's another thing. Talk about total comp, because the beauty of total comp is, you know, if they come back with a salary that's low and they're like, our, our total comp works, like, that's awesome that your total comp works with the, what I was looking for, but I do need a base salary that's X, in which case you also up your total comp because they're not going to lower the, the the bonuses percentages or whatever that is. So there's there's many ways to do to do that part of it. Yeah, I think that's a really good point and something for everyone to keep in mind. And at the end of the day, it completely depends on you as a person, what's important to you and what you need. Like you may need a stability of a certain number within your base salary, or you may be more open to having a higher annual bonus or equity. And I think that's that's a really good call is thinking about all aspects of a compensation package that you can negotiate. I think so many things that are perhaps unconventional that you don't hear as often people asking about. So other factors that I would think I so in the in the tech industry, depending on the function that you're in, 
and and the specific role that you have i think the four common elements that we can see in a compensation package is base salary sign on bonus annual bonus and equity now from a recruiting perspective base salary and base salaries a given obviously uh sign on bonus is typically to get you in the door so an incentive to get you in the door perhaps you have to pay back uh, a retention bonus from a company you're leaving perhaps you have another another offer on the table so sign on bonus is to get you in the door annual bonus is performance based so based on your performance or performance of a company you're getting an annual bonus to retain you and then equity, I think oftentimes, depending on the parameters of it, whether it's new hire equity, annual equity or whatever, however equities work into the compensation package can also be a retention strategy for keeping companies because oftentimes you'll see it broken up over a multi-year period with most companies. So I think those are the four core elements that we think of within a standard compensation package within the tech industry, but then you also see people negotiating work from home or remote options within that specific job. You see people negotiating time off. If it's a company that doesn't have unlimited PTO, is that something you can negotiate? Um, can you negotiate um, your like work location or um, incentives from the company? If it's like a brand that you actually utilize as a consumer, can you negotiate reload packages? Relocation packages, it's a great one. Um, uh, tech resources to do your job, stand up desk, all the peripherals, yada, yada. Like, I feel like there's Education. so many. Yes, amazing. I feel like there are there any others I'm missing? I feel like there's so many like unconventional. You got you to find out what they have. You have to like, that's the thing. Every yeah. company has their own set of things. So you need to do, again, research. You If you don't do the research, you're going to get played one way or another. Um, so I think that friends named the, the major ones but there could be stuff in there that they have like look if let's say you want to get a master's or an mba depending on the school that could be 100 grand if somebody like yo we have full education like we'll pay for all of it that is one hundred thousand dollars that they're giving you essentially for free to to and then the education you keep that for yourself that's not mm -hmm. something that goes on so maybe they pay you less but your master's is paid for it that's worth it Right, like that's almost always going to be worth it unless they're really, really lowballing. Um, so I just do the research and find out what they offer, what companies offer, but also what you want, need, and like have like a list of these are the things that I, I need or like. Um, I don't know. For me, I've been so lately. I've been thinking about education a lot. Where I'm just like, if someone pays off your, let's say they pay off your student loans. I don't know if that's a thing, but let's say they did. For some people, that's like a huge relief. Um, but yeah, paying do your research. For, paying for memberships or networking events too. Yeah, or like so different like companies have their yearly events. Mm -hmm. And if you can go to these huge like Dreamforce for Salesforce or I think, you know, SAP has one and if you can go to these events which can be anywhere in the, on the in the United States or anywhere in the planet and they play for your hotel every year and all that stuff. It's great opportunities that you that mm -hmm. you get from that, and you get to usually those things. They have like some awesome musical star, like Elton John, will show up and like play music. So like, why not, right? Mm -hmm. I would say another thinking through like best practices. Always get things in writing, one hundred percent, without a doubt. Yeah. 
a recruiter or hiring manager can verbalize something to you, ensure that is in writing because if things change in the future, the company's practices change, um, leadership changes, your manager changes, and that, that was the person that verbalized the agreement to you and you have no record of it outside of your word, it may not be upheld. So without a doubt, no matter what, in any type of negotiation, even if it's something that's typically not within an offer letter, if it's in an email, at the very least, make sure anything that you negotiate, especially if it's a, a little bit more of a non-traditional um, negotiation and offer, make sure that is in writing. And if you start and let's say like something's off, like your title's different or something, jump on it right away and don't yeah. let go and don't be like, oh no, that's just, it'll, we'll fix it in, in like a month. Oh, we're having, nope. We're like, I'm not going to start until you fix it <laughs> now. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's a big one. Um, and so uh, a little bit different, but one thing I'll also say is, and I mean, we mentioned earlier that you, you can't, you need to always be able to be willing to walk away. And the only way you can actually do that in these situations of when you're either trying to get a job or trying to get more money within the job you have, you have to have multiple offers, right? And this is kind of actually a partially a sales tactic, but you need to be out there talking to a bunch of companies, taking a bunch of interviews, because if you're, if you find one company and then one company gives you an offer, Walking away from that one offer is a lot harder than walking away from a one offer when you have four other offers in the win. Even if that's your dream company, say yeah. it's your dream company, but they're lowballing you 40 grand. You'd be like, mm, you know what? I love this company, but you're really lowballing me. I'm going to have to pass. So here's the thing. When you say you have to pass, doesn't mean that they that you have passed. That is also a negotiation tactic because then they might come back and be like, oh, no, 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 sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, here's all the money that you were asking for. Um, but maybe sometimes they'll be like, okay, peace, like have a good one. We can't do it. But I think if you are really trying to maximize your options at that point, you have to have multiple offers in hand because if you're not able to walk away, you're going to take a shitty deal. Like that's, that's the bottom line. I think that, I don't think that that last statement necessarily applies to every situation, but I think I, I, I totally agree i think with your underlying sentiment of uh, cultivating an ideal scenario where you have leverage to negotiate for more when needed i totally agree with you even if it's like your dream job your dream company continuing to interview as the opportunities present themselves i know the market right now still as we talk is extremely competitive and and hard for people looking for jobs um so i totally get it's not always warranted and available to you to get in that situation but i totally agree like what we're talking about is finding opportunities to leverage um and how to leverage different offers and opportunities within negotiation even if it is the company that is your dream job or dream company yeah there's a, there's a story uh so one of the best negotiators slash deal makers ever bob Iger, ceo of disney there's a story i think i think he was going into like a COO role or he was going to, he was becoming second, like Michael Eisner second. Mm -hmm. And he was supposed to get his title and a board seat and, and a bunch of other stuff. Right. And, and they'd agreed on it. And so, and one of the people that was, that was in the company at the time came back to him and said, you can have the title, but you're not getting the board seat. And mind you being number two at Disney is huge. No matter what it's huge. Mm -hmm. And he said, board seat or nothing. 
He's he's willing to walk away from. Him. He's a board seat or nothing, and they came back and they gave it to him. So the thing is, you're right. Not in every scenario are you screwed if you don't have other options because he didn't technically have another option. But obviously, he knew that if he went out there from where he was already at, he would have found something. But you do have to always be willing to walk away. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, it's either that, or if you're not willing to walk away, know that you're at the mercy of the person in front of you. Yeah, and I think I think with that too, there's also like the element of like not showing all your cards that's the tactic that i lean a little bit more towards but it also i do know people who've taken the tactic of just being like bold and audacious about what you want and what you ask for which i think comes with making being very informed um about your worth in the market but at the end of the day agree with you um what do you feel like are like in today's day and age what are i feel like we kind of talked about this a bit earlier but what are key tactics tools and or resources for candidates to leverage to make sure they have everything they need to go into in a negotiation well i think first you need to listen to the dear tech podcast because we give you all the information <laughs> that you need as a candidate um, oh, Lord. kidding 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 uh no but kind of kidding not really i think you need to be out there listening and reading a lot of different materials that give you a sense of the market so whether that's linkedin whether that is glassdoor whether whether that is fishbowl or blind um in blind i often see people are like this is my total comp now this is how many years of experience that i have this is my offer is it good or bad mm -hmm. and then a bunch of people comment whatever right so that's an option asking peers directly there's a stigma around asking people their salaries fuck that just just you know like be transparent about what why you're asking you're not being just like nosy be like hey look i'm going and, I, and i've done this before fran knows i've done this before but i'll be like what what is what are you making right now because i'm up for you know maybe i'm up for a promotion or maybe i'm looking at this role just wondering what i should be asking for um you can ask a recruiter hey rec and that 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 not the recruiter that <laughs> is giving you the job a different recruiter, someone else that you know, hey, I, this is my years of experience, this is what I do, what do you think? Um, but I think the whole point is, the other thing is, if you're interviewing a lot, and I'm just a promoted, proponent of if you're in the market, be in the market, be all in. Mm -hmm. So if you're interviewing a lot, you are talking to a lot of different people, you get to look at a bunch of different comps, you get to see a bunch of different like packages and what they're offering. And another thing is, if you're really in the market like that, the first offer you get, you're probably not gonna take maybe not even the second offer. Even if even if you don't have anything else lined up, you might just get a couple of offers and be like, ah, this isn't my cup of tea. Like, thank you, but no thanks, and just move on to your other interviews and the other stuff you're doing. But that's still market information you can use, right? Like if you if you if if a company says, if a, uh, like sometimes some recruiters, they divulge to me like, listen, our budget's really tight. This might not be what you're looking for, but this is what we can offer. Then you know, if they're saying that, that this number is a low number, probably. So you can use that as a base. So there's many different ways to do it, but I think reading a lot, asking a lot of questions, networking, meeting with people. That's a really good way to understand what's out there. Um, and I think, you'll, you know, there's a lot of LinkedIn articles that talks about different things that companies offer. Uh, and a lot of companies have it on their job page in terms of not money, but in terms of like, oh, do they offer mat leave, pat leave? Mm -hmm. Do they offer, and how much, right? Like if, you know, if someone's planning on starting a family, you can see and they're like oh we offer you know nine weeks oh this company offers 12 weeks oh this company offers 14 15 so you have an idea of what the market is mm -hmm. and what makes sense for you um 
but yeah, don't, I wouldn't tell people that you're looking to start a family in the interview process, but just it's something you need to know for yourself because it's not their business if, if and when you want to start a family. Um, but yeah, that's that's what that's what I would think is a good good tools. What do you, what do you think? What I miss? Um, yeah, I agree with all of this. I think there's so many resources out there now that candidates have access to that we didn't historically for you to be informed, like an episode we just recorded previously on LinkedIn, like they have resources on there to talk about compensation blind. Um, like there's so many reviews and resources and platforms now where employees will share their compensation um, and or you can see like market rates pulled from all these different job boards that show an aggregate of compensation based on function level seniority and location so i definitely think it's fairly easy now to be informed about what the market is paying and then i think it comes down to your style of negotiation, knowing what you're worth and having the ammo to back up your ask. Um, I do think something that I wanted to bring up that I think is important is oftentimes, and this is this is definitely more so with larger companies, I, it's oftentimes with startups, you may be having a compensation comp- conversation with different people, but oftentimes with mid larger size organizations, you are discussing compensation with the recruiter. Now, I think it's important to remember that recruiters are not the ones who sign the checks. Uh, Recruiters are given typically a number or a budget or a target that they know they are able to play within. And then it's their job to get, like find a candidate, take them through the process. It's the great candidate, get them to sign the offer. so I think, I think it's important in negotiating to understand your audience and who you're talking to. So if you're talking to a recruiter, you wanna get them on their side. The recruiter's goal and the recruiter's intention is to get you to sign the offer and join the company. Now there's typically other people on the back end that you won't directly interact with that are a part of this whole process. So oftentimes, Finance may be involved in discussing what is approved for that team in that role. The compensation team may be involved in the conversation and specifically communicating to the recruiter what comp are we paying for this role. Legal may be involved, HR may be involved. So there's often a number of different players in the back end. But I think the important thing, if you are specifically oftentimes interacting with the recruiter throughout the whole process, and that's who you discuss comp with, I think it's important to know that they're not the ones who sign the check, but they're the ones who can and often are your advocate. So it's like you want you want to get the recruiter on your side. And I think that the tactic you were talking about before, that level of empathy um, from a candidate perspective and being able to build rapport and build some sort of connection with your recruiter because your recruiter is going to be your best advocate. They're going to be the one going back to comp, going back to the business, saying this candidate is asking for this much money and this is why. Like we as recruiters are your voice box. We are your mouthpiece when we go back in negotiations. So help us help you and give us that reasoning, that logic as to why you want, need, or deserve more than what was initially presented 
So I think that's important to note um, and understanding all the different parties that come into play in a negotiation conversation. No, absolutely. And I think, again, a big part of being able to do that is knowing your numbers because my, my, there's not a bigger turnoff than someone asking for a number that that's not real. Right. So if you can, if you can, if you can find a number that's above what you're getting offered, but you know that this is right. Cause I'm telling you one thing, even if your recruiter's budget is less than the market value, I promise you, they know that I promise you, they know what the market is so. if they're good. Yeah. yeah if they're good. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I don't promise because they might not be good. if they're good, they know the market and they know the difference. And here's the thing. There are times, oftentimes that recruiters can go back to comp and say, Hey, this is the person, this is their skill. This is what it should be. Can you check the market and make sure I'm not crazy? And comp will come back like, you're right. Let's go to finance and figure it out. So if you can pick a number, even if it's higher, that makes sense. So you've done your research properly and you can cite, hey, Apple gives this, you're Apple's competitor. You should be pretty close to that. Can you help me out? They might not give you the number you asked for, but you'll still be higher than what you were getting initially paid for. But I think, again, you have to know what those numbers are. There's work involved as at the end of the day is what I'm saying is that yeah. you need to, you need to do the work. Yeah. I just like, I think a, that was like a really good part of the conversation. Cause I think so often it's like the recruiter is who oftentimes candidates are engaging with and speaking with throughout the entire process, but understanding the, the part recruiters play in the larger process of getting an offer approved and how to understand a recruiter's perspective and intention, which at the end of the day is to hire great talent, which in this situation is you, if we're coming to you with an offer and understand typically a recruiter's, a recruiter's number one goal is to not, is not necessarily to save the company an extra five grand by undercutting your offer or our, our highest priority as recruiters is not necessarily the financials of a company that's finance and comps higher priority typically so understanding what our priority is and then utilizing the position of the recruiter that you're working with to be your voice box when you are coming back with an ask also know that you're also helping the recruiter sometimes maybe if they don't know the market understand the market mm -hmm. and if you can say look I'm sorry, but your company's $20,000 off the mark in terms of don't what the midpoint should be. Well, yeah, you don't have to apologize, <laughs> but I'm saying you can tell the recruiter and then if the recruiter has the epiphany or realizes yeah. that, then they can go back and then they make the case, right? Mm -hmm. Because that that's what they have to do at the end of the day. But if you don't ask, you don't get, right? If your mouth yeah. isn't open, you're not going to, you know, closed mouths don't get fed. So mm -hmm. make sure you're talking about it. Um, but I think another thing is when you, when you're we, just jumping back to the initial, like the, when they ask you what you want, make sure you, you verbalize that very, in a very specific way. Don't say I'd be comfortable with 150 because they come back and they offer you 150 and you ask for more, you look like an asshole. You say something to the effect of, you know, I'm looking, uh, it seems like the market is somewhere between here and here. That might work out, but I'm also speaking to other companies, so I'm trying to get an idea for the market myself. But I totally, you know, if you can be in this range, I'd be open to furthering the conversation. Then if they come back to you and they're in that range, you'd be like, you know what? I really appreciate it. And again, you want to be positive. You want to thank, thank you so much. I really appreciate this offer. However, after speaking with a couple more companies, I realize that my value is probably around here. Can you get to this number or how close can you get to this number? And then let them do their song and dance. They might still be a little bit annoyed, but at least you posed it in a way that makes sense. Yeah. 
I will also say to that too, from, from my perspective in recruiting, I want people to ask for more. I'm like, you do, you ask for like, I might not necessarily be able to give it to you, but like ask, like exactly like I said, like closed mouths don't get fed. Like at the very least ask, you never know however you want to go about that, obviously. But, um, often I think a lot of companies don't necessarily take the tactic, which isn't necessarily the right way, depending on perspective, but that's another conversation aren't going to give you the absolute like capacity of offers that they could give you They're t- they're I think oftentimes people take that middle of the road approach of giving you a good offer. And then if you ask for more, they can flex. I, I think a lot of companies are different in that approach, but I think it's just something to be mindful of as a candidate is like that, like asking is not going Im- to like negatively impact you. The worst they could say is no. Yeah, friend, I think you're super nice. I think you're extra nice for that because I think for me, when my thought process as a recruiter is, I want to be I okay. So as a recruiter, not that I want to lowball someone, but for me is like if I can save my org an extra twenty k because budgets are tight, I'm happy about that. So if you ask for the midpoint, I'll be like, I can do that. Are you sure that works for you? I'll give you an opportunity. I'm like, you sure that works for you? I can absolutely do that. I think you know that that's actually right where our budget wants to be. Does that work? Yes, it works. Okay, cool. Right, that's the number that I'm looking at. I, I, again, unless you're asking for a really low number, then I'll be like, Hey, kind of low. But if you're asking me for the midpoint, be like solid, let's go. Like, let's, let's do this right there. Um, because for me also, if I save $20,000 on your job, I have this really hard job here. That's a low ball number. Like, Hey, can we take this 20,000, put it onto this job so I can hire Mm -hmm. someone for, you know, it's, it's, it's here and there. I think as a candidate or someone um, influencing a candidate, I'll say, Hey, ask for more. But when I have my recruiter hat on, I'm, I'm doing my thing on my side, mm-hmm. but, uh, but Fran is nicer. So the hope that she is the person that you're talking to when you're negotiating. For all me. future employers, I will say I am mindful of finances, but <laughs> I definitely lean a little more on the candidate side. Um, because you're wonderful. Thanks. The other point I did want to bring back up, that I think you had mentioned before was understanding your legal rights on a federal and state level when discussing compensation i think is really important so many companies either verbally or within contractual agreements oftentimes have some sort of written or unwritten communication deterring employees from communicating compensation to each other Mm. i understand why i think they're so like being on the business side i think obviously there's so many different factors that come into extending an offer to a candidate. Um, some candidates ha- might have a little bit more experience or relevant experience becoming from different companies, um, might have been hired at two different points in time when supply and demand was very different in the market, which caused fluctuation in compensation. There's so many different factors that can come into extending an offer that can create disjointed levels of compensation across teams and i think it's a constant ebb and flow for companies to calibrate that and the strategy they want to take with making sure their teams are fairly and equitably compensated but on the flip side i think from the employee perspective or candidate perspective you have a legal right to verbalize your compensation anyone on on a federal legal level you cannot be implicated or held liable 
for communicating compensation to anyone. If anyone tells you otherwise, whether intentional or unintentional, they are not adhering to law, um, like federal legal standards around what you as an employee can verbalize. So I think it's really important. I know it's like frowned upon and depending on the intention of why someone's asking you, I think because of like societal and, and industry norms, I definitely like, I'm not someone that's going to like blurt out my, my number and what I'm making. But if someone comes to me, especially if it's from a marginalized groups that oftentimes is negatively impacted by a lack of information around market rates and compensation. If someone comes to me with an intention of like asking, so they are informed about what to ask for, I will 100% tell them. Um, because I think there's so many systems in place that have not um, enabled the equity of pay across so many different groups. So I think I just think that's a, an important call out to note for people is you are not you cannot be held legally liable if you do communicate your compensation to someone. Facts. Unless there's everything. something actually, I'll, I'll give a I'll give a disclaimer there. Unless there's some some specific nuance of your role within your contract that you signed away your rights. And I'm I'm not a legal guru, so I, I won't fully dive in here, but there could be some caveats to that. Either way, do your research, understand your legal rights um, when it comes to negotiations. So based on what you just said, one thing I'll say is read your offer letters, read your contracts. Yeah. Okay, like get, listen, everyone before you accept a role get your offer letters read them read them again <laughs> underline things that don't make sense ask questions and make sure everything makes sense i don't believe in 2023 okay wait i hope that we don't have it in 2023 that companies are putting shady shit in their contracts but regardless read it okay understand what you're saying that you're going to do what you can and can't do if something doesn't make sense bring it up um, it's not exciting for a company to have their, their like employment contracts redlined. They don't really like it because they have so many to do. They can't have like everyone. However, if there's something in there that really doesn't make sense, bring it up. Um, and also to Fran's point, you need to know what you can and can't say while you're at work. I don't think that a lot of companies are legally allowed to put that. You can't say your salaries on contracts unless again, you're like, I don't know, a spy or something. Um, but I think in general, I think you can probably talk about it. One thing you might not be able to talk about is like your stock options. Like maybe that's, that's something that might be private, but base salaries, bonus percentages. I think that's fine. Um, yeah. What about, I think, so oftentimes switching gears a little bit, oftentimes I think individuals, again, I think this especially impacts the typical like marginalized groups, depending on how you identify and, and where you align yourself. But I think we forget or maybe aren't aware about the opportunities when, where, where and when we can negotiate outside of just accepting a new offer and starting a new job when it comes to if you're asking for a promotion or you transitioned into a new job in your company or you get hired into a new job in your company, other opportunities when you can negotiate your offer. Thoughts? 
Yeah. Um, I think, I think that when you're staying at the company you're at and you're getting a new role in one way, shape or form, whether it's a promotion, whether it's a transition and you get to, and you, there's a new salary involved. Um, it's, it can be tougher because you're already there. So you can't really walk away. Right. You, you can potentially stay at your role, but sometimes if it's a promotion, it's like really hard, which is kind of what happened to me actually. Um, and then also it depends on who you're negotiating with. Are you negotiating with the recruiter or are you negotiating with who's the person that's going to be your boss? Cause you can't be, you know, a hard ass negotiator with the person that's going to be your boss for the next foreseeable future. <laughs> it's really hard. So someone who had to try to do that, it's very hard to do um, because very many times when you're negotiating, you have to be very like deadpan, very like stoic-ish where you say something and you just wait. But if this person is someone you have to work very closely with for the next foreseeable future, it's it, it's hard to do. I'm not saying like, it's just as, as a human being who mm. is actually pretty decent at letting silence like eat the room and mm. I'm not going to say anything. When it's with someone who's going to be my boss, it's hard. It's mm -hmm. really hard. Um, I think uh, you have to... If it's something you can walk away from where you can keep your current role and you just let it go and you're okay with that, then negotiate hard. But many times these carrots, like they look so good. You're just like, you know what? You're not, cause like I, that happened to me where I was like, I want X and they're like, no. And what I realized was, which was stupid. I didn't ask for a sign on bonus. Anyway, I don't want to vent about this, but I should have asked for a sign on bonus, which is what I came to, but always look for avenues of, if you can't get one thing, see what other thing, especially when you're inside, when you're, when you're transitioning or you're staying at the same company, there's other stuff you can ask for within there. There really, really is. That's actually a more of an opportunity to get other stuff because you know all the things your company gives because you're there and you know all the things that are like extra here and there. So you might be able to like get a very random thing that you want by, by knowing the ins and outs of the company. Mm -hmm. Yep. I totally agree. Another interesting uh, scenario where I've, heard and seen more people negotiating as well as also severance packages. Have you hmm. heard that come up at all? No, not. Tell me about that. Yeah. So I don't, I don't have like a ton. I think this is like a little bit of a newer practice and obviously not widely publicized. Like obviously a company wouldn't publicize this, but individuals actually negotiating severance packages as well when obviously they're informed that, Hey, your role has been impacted. And let's say the company um, is offering you six weeks severance. Perhaps you come back and say, I've been with this company for eight plus years. I have been tied to these projects, these financial targets for the company, yada, yada, yada. I'm asking for eight weeks severance, like people negotiating severance packages as well. Like all of this stuff, like I think something came to mind just because it's never been done or you haven't seen it been done or it's not like a common practice doesn't mean you can't do it i think at the end of the day you're laughing i think at the end of the day just the important like consistencies to keep in mind no matter the scenario or situation where you're negotiating is one always being like the more informed you are the better whether it's about the market yourself, your skill, your capability, your value, the more informed you are, the more likely you're going to be able to get what you want. And then two, understanding the art of negotiation and how to have those conversations and different tactics to take and the human psychology elements of it. Um, 
but I've, I've heard that pop up more with, with negotiating severance packages. Um, I want to say there was one other, um, situation where it was coming up as well, but I just wanted to bring it up because I thought it was unique. Cause I hadn't heard that too often. That is, that's intense because I don't see, like, I, I, I appreciate the, that it happens. Like, it's not, it's like, it's really cool to hear yeah. about. But if I was a company and someone I'm letting go is trying to negotiate, I'm just like, I know. <laughs> like, I, know. I want it. Do? Like, if anyone listening knows whether directly or indirectly of situations where that has been successful, please I tell totally, us. Yeah, yes. I totally want to know what happened. We'll have you on the podcast just yeah. for you can tell us a 10 minute story. <laughs> I need to know about this yeah. because. Because I've heard um, it come up, but I, I, I totally agree with you. I would be curious to understand how the employee being impacted could have enough leverage to get the company to come back with a yes, let me increase your severance package. I wonder if you can negotiate that before you get a job, like at the time of getting the job to be like, well, if you have, if you let me go within the year, you have to give me 12 weeks. Mm. I don't know if, I don't know. know A lot of companies, they'll, they'll push employees to sign the severance package quickly. quickly. They'll give you a tight deadline because then, then you're locked in and they're basically wash their hands but i don't i i think people aren't don't have the awareness either is like you can ask more questions you can tell them you need another meeting for the questions or you want to talk through something or your whatever like a lot of times how those conversations occur um are not necessarily in your best interest or in the best interest of the company so i think from a employee perspective Oh, again, at the end of the day, it's important to be informed of legal parameters around negotiation conversations. Yeah, always take your time. I mean, the same thing with like when you're accepting a role, right? Like they send you an offer, you don't have to sign it today. Um, yeah. There are, and I, I would say nowadays, I've probably seen a decent number of like, quote unquote, deadlines. You could probably ask for more time. Um, and if they're going to like, take an offer away because you're taking, again, if you're taking really long time, like a company can't wait forever, the the vacancy needs to close. But if it's like a Friday and you're like, hey, give me until Monday or give me until next Friday, I think a week is an okay amount of time. Um, Though I've also been on the the recruiter on the other side that like needs this to fill. And it's just like, Mm -hmm. well, you need a week. That's a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, Or like, why do you need a week? Which I think I've asked the question before, but it's like, if I need a week, I need a week, right? Um, But take your time. Take your time, make decisions intentionally. Don't just react to this person saying, do this or do that. Um, but yeah, I think also when you're, when you're internal, um, sometimes let's say you're underpaid. Let's say it's not even, it's not even a thing. Let's say you're actually just underpaid and you're asking for more money. You have to look at a few things when you're doing this and the same thing happens even when like if you're getting a promotion whatever it is look at the market there are better times to negotiate in market cycles there are times in market share cycles more. say that again? please share more no well so like let's oh, say if, if the in my in my mind right like the market's yeah. really bad if like if oh, there are okay. no jobs out there you're not negotiating from a strong place because if you leave the company or if you don't, you know, they're like, oh, I dare you to leave because the market's really mm-hmm. bad out there. So very much picking your battles also is a good idea. And again, sometimes when we're looking for work, we don't have jobs. That happens. Totally get that. Then you've got to do what you got to do. 
But that's also why I was talking about having multiple offers. And then obviously you're not just randomly getting multiple offers, but that means you're applying to a lot and then going from there. So be, that's, that's how you get it. But if you're at a company and you're at a position where you're just like, I want to leave, or if you don't give me money, I want to leave, all that stuff. Know that there's a time and place and you really, really need to pick your battles. And if you're underpaid for a year just to wait out a bad cycle, that's worth it rather than like rage quitting, right? Uh, <laughs> rage quitting your job. Uh, and, I, and I know people that have rage quit, whether yeah. it's because of money, whether because of culture, whatever it is. Um, I appreciate not wanting to be somewhere. And I totally, sometimes you really need to do it for your mental health, but sometimes you got to just stick it out just so that when you are in a position where you get to negotiate, you're in a position of strength. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. Like cultivating the best environment for yourself, for you to succeed in that conversation, for sure. What do you think are important factors for companies to be mindful of or the person extending the offer, whoever that may be when going into negotiations? I think it's the same on both sides in the sense of you need to know what the market is doing. And the funny thing is, um, if your budgets are lower than the market, even if you have a candidate within within your budget or close to your budget, but if you start low, you're actually not able to negotiate well. And what I mean by that is because someone might be like, well, if you start low, you probably end up low. If you start low on purpose, then maybe you can get to where you need to get without seeming dumb because you're doing it intentionally. But if you have the wrong data, mm. then already what you're, where you're starting from is the wrong spot. And then you're nickel and diming the top where this candidate wants to be. And from the candidate perspective, if I'm a good candidate, I do have three or four offers. I'm like, why would I want to come, come to a company that's like five grand is like killing this deal, right? But if you know what the numbers are and you know that this person's, rather than thinking this person's 40K off the midpoint, you know he's 20K off the midpoint. You're like, ah, I could probably be like, look, I understand this is where you need to be. This is what we can do because of the market. And then you tell them what the market is. And if I know the market and I'm trying to be a candidate that's negotiating and being a hotshot and you're saying shit that I know that makes sense, I'm like, oh, this person knows what they're talking about. This is their budget, fine. But if I'm saying, hey, the, the market's actually down here and we're giving you this, I'm like, oh, you're, you're, you don't know what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So I think having the data, whether whatever your negotiation style is as the person extending an offer, you need to know what the truest, truest market data is so that even if you are negotiating via lowballing, which is a negotiating style, it's not great, but it is a style, at least when this person comes back and tries to throw data at you, you have the data and you can, then you can use that to your advantage. Um, but I also think that one thing that I used to say when I was a little bit more naive, not that long ago, a couple of years ago, maybe I'd be like, what if a company paid everyone like the best, right? Like what if you were the best payer of company of, of candidates? Um, and there are companies like that, that just pay top dollar. Mm -hmm. They usually have like better people, right? Cause the, because there's no competition for them from other places. Uh, and they have people that are excited to be there. Hopefully if their culture is good too, right? Like that's another whole other thing. Mm -hmm. But I think that, you don't have to be the top payer, but if you can actually stay in the realm of the conversation of, you know, a little bit above the midpoint, a little bit above, a little bit nicer, um, at that point, you actually take out. So let's say I have, we're talking about candidates having a bunch of offers. Well, guess what? If you're paying up here, 
they don't have five offers. They probably have two offers because the other three are no longer, they don't matter anymore, mm. right? So if you're able to take out your competition that way, it's a very, very powerful thing to do. Now, again, don't give away the farm. I understand budgets are important. You mm -hmm. do need to make sure you do that. However, if you have a candidate that's really well paid, that's really good at their job, retention stays, okay? They're gonna stick around longer. They're gonna be good at their jobs. And again, it's your job as a hiring manager to interview well, that's another, We'll talk about that in different episodes, but if you're interviewing well, if your recruiter is recruiting well, if you're in the nitty gritty, if you know this person's the good person, why not pay them well, okay? Mm -hmm. Again, it does not have to be your max. It does not have to be crazy amounts of money. I'm saying I, would, I genuinely believe in tech from, okay, hang on, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. Basically, I would say the top- the top 30% minus the top 5%, right? So basically between, you understand what I'm saying? So like the 25% yep. under the top 5%, yep. they would all take a, a, a salary that is a little bit above market rather than, because the top 5% want top dollar. It is what mm -hmm. it is. They're the best at their jobs. It is what, okay, you know, can't change that. But the other, that 25%, if you just give them a respectable number and not try to over negotiate with them, just be like, hey, listen, you know what? You're awesome here's this salary they'll take it they'll be happy they'll appreciate you um maybe give them some, let them negotiate a little bit so they feel like they earned it or whatever but pay well um so that you don't have to worry about oh you know what they're gonna go in a year because we didn't pay them well because that's what's gonna happen right? yeah. you're gonna lose someone in a year year and a half two years as soon as the market picks up you know if you're not paying people and it's a bad economy they're just waiting for the market to get better mm -hmm. yeah I agree. I think I, I echo what you're saying, what you were saying with, I think it's important for, for both parties to be informed no matter what. I think with, from an, from a company perspective, I do think at the end of the day, like we know compensation is typically like top five, if not top three factors, why someone joins a company, like we all have bills to pay, like, Top one, yeah. <laughs> we all have like like we can't survive in this society without money. Maybe we can. So someone's out. <laughs> Anyways, for this generalization, we're saying you can't survive without money. So it's you it's can't. always going to be a yes, it's always going to be a top factor for candidates. So I do I totally agree. I think it's important for companies and teams to be educated about what the market is paying so you can kind of use that as a baseline for yourself for what you should be paying for the role now obviously depending on the company its view on compensation its finances and a multitude of other factors are going to come into play onto what you can actually pay based on what the market is paying now some people may be able to hit that some maybe people may be able to go over and they're pulling that upper echelon of talent and some people may not be able to completely hit the mark. I think that goes back to our other conversation of like branding and culture and what is the full package and full experience you are presenting to those candidates and selling those candidates on that may be able to still pull that talent that you're looking for. Um, I definitely, I, I'll be interested to see how pay transparency laws evolve over the years because even like even now in the last few years we haven't had 
compensation on job postings wasn't a standard, a norm, or a legal requirement. So it's interesting to see how that picks up within new new, uh, state laws. From my opinion, I haven't like fully thought this through for like ramifications and benefits on both sides, but I would almost be of the mindset I would rather companies just be like super direct, post the pay on the job posting. That's literally set. Like we are paying 168,000 for a mid-level software engineer. And that's literally what you're getting. The number's not changing. This is the exact compensation package for this role. If you're good with it, apply. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel about it. I think as a candidate, that's great. But I think as a company, it's like, well, then it, it affects how I'm able, like if I can't pay a lot and I put that up there, I'm not going to get a lot of candidates. Right. And I might be a great place to work and I might have great cultures, but the kids, pe people are just going to interview the people I want aren't going to interview with me to figure that out. It's better to hood hoodwink them. No, I think it's, I think <laughs> ranges are good, but I think, I think that's the thing. Like the issue is it's on both sides where as a candidate, maybe I'm willing to take less if the culture is good. But if you're going into it being like, oh, this is, they're offering nothing. Mm -hmm. I might miss that they're going to pay for all my college mm -hmm. or, or my master's or whatever, or I'm going to miss that the culture is incredible. The product is amazing. Um, whatever those things are. And so I think it's not about hoodwinking because as soon as you have the phone call, you can talk to a recruiter, you can see how cool they are. The recruiter is able to sell to you a little bit. Then you talk about salary and then you're Selling point. The recruiter was so cool. <laughs> hey, you never know. All right. I, I was charming. I, my, in my day, my oh, day, I was charming. I, I got people to accept very low salaries. I'm kidding. That's messed up. Um, but I think that it's not about hoodwinking. I think it's, making sure you don't put companies in a situation where their their salaries are taking them out of the conversation for good candidates. Yeah. Um, I like ranges. I do like ranges because, and the, but the, the good thing about that though also is it, this might force companies to fix their salaries. But again, some companies are stubborn, whatever the case may be. Um, so I don't know how I feel about it because it's, I, I think I want to see how this evolves. I think that's where I'm at. I want to see yeah. how this pay transparency evolves. Uh, what I hate though is when you see salaries like, like in the in like LinkedIn for New York, it's like zero to two million dollars. It's like go fuck yourself. Yeah. Um, those are the worst. Uh, or if it's like a sixty k like difference, it's like seventy thousand to one hundred and seventy thousand dollars yeah. range, and it's like okay, um, yeah. So I think. I'm curious. That's something that I definitely, I think we should do an episode on pay transparency in like a yeah. year and a half. Um, Cause I'm curious. Uh, I, I do want to give two pieces of advice and this is two pieces of like, it's not an opinion. These are two factual advices. And if I'm wrong, advices, factual you like that advices. word? Yeah. Uh, but uh, if I'm wrong friend, get to me, but these are two f advices that I want to yeah. give. And I'm going to keep saying the word advices because I like it. First one, nine times out of 10, if you're relocating for a role, and they're offering you a bonus or a reload bonus, ask for a reload package. Find out what the company's reload packages are and see if you can get that instead of a lump sum. Because usually companies have tiers in their reload packages and the reload packages are significantly more comprehensive 
depending on what level you are, than just getting four grand or five grand or 10 grand. Mm. Because some of them will pay the entire tax of a house you sell up to like a million dollars of house. So the tax on that. Some of them will pay like six months of rent for a new city. Mm. Some of them will do, will pay your tax and do the six months. They're, they're, the reload packages are so comprehensive. Starting like there's usually three or four even the lower ones are better than just getting four grand up front. Mind you, if you're in a situation where you don't have any reload costs and you're just going to catch a flight, but you want to pocket the money, fine. But if you have like a family and a life and you have a, you know, shit you need to get done, sell a house, all that stuff, buy a house. Sometimes they'll give you a realtor that they'll pay the realtor fees. Like mm-hmm. there's so many different things. So if you're moving, always ask, what are the reload packages? Oh, we can give you four grand. No. Do you have any actual packages? I need a package and I need to see what they are. Mm-hmm. And if they say no, I doubt it. Like, I think if you really push for it, they will go look for that. Um, and the beauty of that is that these packages are like pre-created. So mm-hmm. you don't have to negotiate on those. You just see what it is and you'll be like, oh, I like it. Right. And sometimes that package might actually be what lets them not if they have a lower salary, the package might be good enough to be like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I had my, my cousin had one where they paid for all of his furniture. Hmm. All of his furniture was bought by the company. And uh, it was great, right? Um, it was like, you can spend like 20K at this furniture store Less on us, time. right? If only. <laughs> um, that's one. Number two, the second one, this is, and they're, they're not related. And, and, and this one I'm going to say is a fact. I'm, I'm not even never, ever, 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 never, ever take a counter offer from your current company. If you are, if you are going to go and you get an offer from another company and you come back and you tell your boss and they offer you a counter offer, never take it because there are statistics that something to the effect of 70% of people that take counter offers are out of the company by six months. Okay. Because the thing is now they know you want to leave. So the trust is gone. It's never, it's very rarely, okay? I say never, ever, fine, take it back 90% of the time, whatever. But what I, my thing is, I've never seen a situation personally where it worked out well, but in general, the stats will tell you mm. that most of the time you're out of the door in six months, okay? By your, by, not by choice, is what not you're Not by saying. choice, not by choice. Because the thing is, what, what ends up happening is, if you leave on your own, you affect your boss's uh, retention numbers, which affects their bonuses many times. That's one thought process. Mm-hmm. Second thought process is if you are in a position to, to get another offer and they keep you, it's because you have knowledge transfer to do. You have these other things that they need you to do. They keep you for that. They hire a replacement. You're out the door in six months. And at the end of the day, it's just, it can be, I'm not saying it is, but it can be uncomfortable where it's like, oh, this person took PTO. Are they in another interview? Mm-hmm. What are they doing? All this stuff. Um, and, and another, and it's just like, you made the decision to leave. You made the decision to leave. Trust yourself, right? Trust yourself that you want to do it. Or you take the counter offer and you're miserable all over again because there was reasons you wanted to leave. And then you decide to leave anyway, but you just wasted six months, right? So take reload packages. Don't take counter offers. Those are two pieces of advice that I want to share. Love the reload package. Totally on board for that one. Never take a counter offer. Not 100% in agreement. With never, ever, ever, ever. Well, I took it down to 90% for him. I took it down to 90% of the time. But I, I do totally agree with you. I think there, you like, you question how the company values you if you know you're not getting paid enough or you don't have support. Like, whatever reason led you to wanting to look elsewhere, 
that reason likely isn't going to change by them giving you more money unless the issue was you weren't being compensated fairly but then but why then, weren't they paying you beforehand like why yeah, did it take you having to leave likely that's an underlying you? issue that's not necessarily going to go away by just adding another dollar sign to your paycheck so i i definitely think it's like a larger conver- conversation and totally dependent upon the individual in your situation to really evaluate a counter offer situation but i know they do happen all the time um especially for more like niche functions but as a standard i think those were both really good points um wrapping up kind of highlighting some of the the items we talked through previously i think at the end of the day i think we've said this a multitude of times already but at the end of the day both from the negotiatee and the negotiator, like both sides of the negotiation spectrum, it's like the more informed you are going into the conversation, the better it's gonna be no matter what. I would also like to like reference, I think there's, I think, I think interview processes and negotiation conversations, they kind of assimilate in my mind to like an SAT or ACT, like they are, those situations are structured for a certain type of individual who thrives in those situations. And it may not be for everyone, whether you're neurodivergent or you don't thrive well in difficult conversations or what have you. I know like those can be very difficult situations and conversations to have. So I will also say for anyone especially if you are newer in the career path and you haven't experienced too many t- opportunities to negotiate i think practice like practice having those conversations practice with friends practice with peers like the more comfortable you get having those dialogues the better off you're going to be because unless you do want to just completely avoid them and accept what you get offered every single time it's going to be a constant throughout your life so i think if it's an area where you don't feel as confident um, or you haven't had as much experience, like 100% practice having those conversations. I think actually also on the the LinkedIn portal within the um, compensation tab, I'm forgetting what the header's titled right now, but you can, the, the portal and LinkedIn will give you prompts and you can type in what your response would be. Um, so I, th- I think it's better to verbalize it because more often than not, it's going to be a vocal conversation, but it could still be negotiation through email. Um, so I think that's a really good um, tactic to take as practicing having those conversations before going into them to feel more confident as well. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any other nuggets I have. I think we've covered most of it. So I think the best way to practice is to interview and have these conversations as much as possible. So I think like if you're on the market and that's the thing, like if you're on the market, not saying don't take the first job you get because sometimes you really need a job, I get it. But if you're like, if you have a job and you were like, I'm ready for my next big thing, if you, you, the first time you negotiate a salary, it's gonna be crap. You're not gonna do well, you're gonna get awkward. You're not gonna, you know, all those things. But the fourth time, you'll be ready. You'll be like, all right, like, what, what, what tactic are they going to use? Because I've, I've spoken mm-hmm. to four people. I've gotten better and better and better. And then as you do that, let's say you take an offer, and then four or five years later, you're doing it again. You'll remember what you did the first time. Again, you said it yourself, friend. When you first started, you didn't negotiate. Neither did mm-hmm. I. I. I went in there, and I remember my first job at an agency. I want 40000 Like, we'll offer you 32000 And I was like, cool. 
<laughs> right? Like that, that was it. Um, yeah. So I think that's, and but then you learn from that. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, and then the second one was better and the third one was better. And then, and then and the, the, going from there, and you know, it's funny because you speak, you spoke about people that really hate those conversations, whether they're neurodivergent, all those things. I think reading Never Split the Difference will help so much because it almost makes negotiating into a flow chart. It almost makes it if this, then that. And it's not, you're, you're, you're less having like a regular conversation where you have to like duck and weave, where literally they say something and you're like, oh, they said that. Okay, so I should it's probably like say this. It's a formula to follow. Yeah. It's like, oh, you know, you know, you should, I, I'm going to give you 50K. I'm sorry, that doesn't work for me. I appreciate your offer. It's a great offer, but it just doesn't work for me. Silence, wait for them, have them come back. They say something else. So how do you expect me to do that? Let them work. All these things, right? Um, and then again, Chris Voss isn't paying for, isn't sponsoring this, but Chris, <laughs> if you want to, uh, I'm going to say this for every episode until someone We're says they shameless. Want to We are shameless. Um, no, it's a really good book. Regardless of, of all that, I think if you if you read this book, it will really help you understand where the person in front of you is coming from on mm-hmm. both sides. So if you're someone who has to give a lot of offers, that's good too, right? Because that's that's what's going to help you understand how to negotiate because negotiating is just getting the other person to understand where you're coming from and then you come to agreement that way, right? So never split the difference. And then, yeah, practice. Have offers, have as many offers as you can, keep going out there. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the bottom line is whether you negotiate well, whether you negotiate poorly, negotiate. Every single time, try to negotiate. And if you stumble and fall, just keep on trying. Love it. Love the pep talk. Cool. Thank you all so much for listening in today and joining us. Download on any of your favorite streaming platforms. Sincerely, Fran and Chuba.